May I have the envelope, please? May I have the envelope, please? The best picture of the year is... The best picture of the year. The best picture of the year. I am happy to announce that the winner is... The winner is... And the winner... The winner is... The winner is... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Envelope Podcast. Here on The Envelope, we will be discussing and reviewing every Best Picture winner in the Academy Awards history. Today, we are discussing the seventh Best Picture winner, It Happened One Night. Joining me today are Nicole Moomy. Hi. And Sean Waffen. Hello. Before we get to our film this week, let's chat briefly about the history of the seventh Academy Awards. The seventh Academy Awards were held on February 27th, 1935 at the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles, California, and they were hosted by Irvin S. Cobb. For the first time, the Academy standardized the practice that the award eligibility period for a film would be the preceding calendar year. This was also the first of only two years in which write-in candidates were allowed by the Academy as a tactic response to the controversy surrounding the snub of Betty Davis's performance in Of Human Bondage. Academy rules now prohibit write-ins on the final ballot. Also this year, the Academy retained the accounting firm of Price Waterhouse to tabulate the ballots and ensure the secrecy of the results. The firm, now called Price Waterhouse Coopers, continues to tabulate the voting to this day. The categories of Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song were first introduced this year. In addition, Shirley Temple received the first Juvenile Academy Award at age six, making her the youngest Oscar recipient ever. The 16 Academy Award categories this year were Outstanding Production, a.k.a. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Original Story, Best Adaptation, Best Original Song, Best Original Score, Best Sound Recording, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, Best Assistant Director, Best Short Subject Cartoon, Best Live Action Short Subject Comedy, Best Live Action Short Subject Novelty, and the Academy Juvenile Award. The Academy Award statuette depicts a knight holding a crusader's sword standing on a reel of film film with five spokes. The five spokes represent the original branches of the Academy. Actors, writers, directors, technicians, and producers. That's how we'll break down our reviews of the Best Picture winners. Today we are discussing the Best Picture winner, It Happened One Night. The film won over The Barretts of Wimple Street, Cleopatra, Flirtation Walk, The Gay Divorcee, Here Comes the Navy, The House of Rothschild, Imitation of Life, One Night of Love, The Thin Man, Viva Villa, and The White Parade. It Happened One Night became the first film to perform a clean sweep of the top five award categories, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay. It also was the first romantic comedy to be named Best Picture. It Happened One Night follows spoiled heiress Ellie Andrews, who impetuously married a man named King Wesley, leading her tycoon father to spirit her away on his yacht. After jumping ship, Ellie falls in with the cynical newspaper reporter Peter Warren, who offers to help her reunite with her new husband in exchange for an exclusive story. But during their travels, the reporter finds himself falling for the feisty young heiress. Directed by Frank Capra, the film stars Clark Gable as Peter Warren, Claudette Colbert as Ellie Andrews, Walter Connolly as Alexander Andrews, and Jameson Thomas as King Wesley. The first spoke acting. What did you guys think of the acting in this film? I 
And you got Clark Gable. <laughs> He's so good in it. It's true. He's so charming. Yeah. Yes, he is incredibly charming. And she gives him, like, she stands up to his performance. Because he, yeah. you know, he is a powerhouse on screen. And she's right there batting him back, you know. So it's it's a it's a really cool, it's a really great example of, like, what two powerhouse actors can do on screen together. Oh, agreed. Like, yeah, you're, you're on both of their sides. Yes. You, you know. Totally. Even though, I mean... She's supposed to be this spoiled brat heiress, but she plays it so well and she's got so, such gumption that, like, you're you're rooting for her, you know, and you totally feel for her, the yeah. situation. Like, she just, her dad doesn't like him, but she wants to stand on her own two feet, whatever, and then he's just, like, this likable Lafario, basically. Yeah. And he's, you know, but he can't ever catch a break on a good story, and then here this thing falls in his lap, and so he's, like, opportunistic, but at the same time helpful and you know you just you're really rooting for both of them like he's she comes from like the elevated family like the wealth with no street smarts because she's like this caged little animal and he has all these street smarts but he's struggling and you know needing to make ends meet yeah I, I love him. Yeah. I mean, and every time I see him, I'm like, why don't I just watch every Clark Gable movie <laughs> over and over? He's he's yeah. really dynamic well, and really, likable. Interestingly, neither of them was the first choice for the role. Oh, really? And both of them yeah. were loaned for, or maybe she wasn't, but he was loaned to Columbia for the movie. So it, it they went through, like, Myrna Loy. They offered it to, um, the, uh, they wanted Betty Davis at one point, but the Warner Brothers wouldn't put her on loan. Like, they went through a ton of different people. Robert Montgomery was, was offered the role at one point. But apparently the script was very different when they were putting it out to actors. So a lot of actors turned it down because they didn't care for the material, including Colbert, Claudette Colbert. But she said if they would double her salary, because also she didn't like Frank Capra. She'd had a bad experience with him before. So if they would double her salary, then she'd be, she would agree to do it. But initially she even passed on the role. Yeah, she was under contract with Paramount, but she had four weeks free. But she had made her first film, uh, The Love of Mike, with Frank Capra directing, and it had been a disaster, so she was not excited to repeat that experience with him. However, when they told her that they would give her $50,000 for four weeks, as opposed to the usual Paramount salary of 25000 she said she'd be willing to do it. Um, but she still apparently complained every single day. She hated the movie, and at the end of it, she told a friend, I just finished making the worst picture I have ever made. That's what Claudette Colbert said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in 1934, she had a great year. She was in It Happened One Night, Cleopatra, An Imitation of Life. But she was only nominated for Best Actress for It Happened One Night. But she hated the movie so much, she didn't go to the Oscars. So when she won, they had to call her. And she was actually getting ready to leave on a trip. So she rushed to the ceremony. And they picked up and had her do her speech later in the night. Because she showed up in a traveling pantsuit. Because she was leaving. So just like she just hated it. And yeah, no actors wanted this script because it was very, I guess, it's considered slapstick. Mm-hmm. Which it doesn't feel like it now compared to like some of the slapsticks, you know, we saw like in the 80s and yeah. 70s. Whatnot. Or even of the time with the stuttering and the, you know. Yeah. Even at the silent film area, which, you know, you had to be very over the top. This doesn't feel as over the top. So when I heard it was like slapstick, it didn't feel like that as much to me. But yeah, nobody wanted it. Um, and Columbia was considered on Poverty Row at the time. So they had to borrow these actors from MGM and Warner Brothers just to put it together. And Clark Gable was loaned by MGM as a punishment for having an affair with Joan Crawford. Mm -hmm. Because I guess that made him look bad. So then they gave him to this studio to do this movie. I think it probably made her look bad, which is why they did it. So, 
Um, but, but yeah, it's insane because I loved this movie. Totally. I thought the actors it's were so great. Good. The whole thing was very well put together. Yeah, I, I thought everybody did it, such a great job. I think if it really comes down to the chemistry of those two, yeah. this whole yes. movie rests on yeah. their chemistry. So that's not to say. Well, I don't think. I mean, it's so great. I yeah. don't think that any other actors could have been paired. Yeah. To do it, for me especially, the Clark Gable aspect of it. Like, maybe he edges out acting-wise for me. Just, or, or that character I find, yeah. you know, more interesting and has more appeal or whatever. But it's interesting reading this afterwards because you don't see that in Claudette's performance at all if she was unhappy. Mm-hmm. She totally, no, like, yeah. nails it and look, you know, looks like she's that character. So when they called action, you know, she really turned it on and, like, did her thing because you can't tell that she was, like, unhappy through the whole thing. Well, yeah. even the the um, scene where she pulls her dress up to like flag down very a car. risque, yeah. right? It was very risque, and she was she wouldn't agree to do it at first because it was unladylike. But when she saw the body double that br- they brought in, she was like, "Move this hussy out of here! That's not my leg." Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my god, that's funny. But yeah, but it's the, oh, the whole so movie is filled with those moments that I feel like now we've seen it so many other times repeated, like hailing a cat with a leg. leg out. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's been copied and reused and parodied so many times, and it's the same when they go to a hotel together and they put up the sheet in between the beds. Mm-hmm. You've seen that a dozen times, where it's like this is where it came from. Yeah. yeah, there's so many iconic scenes that all came from this one movie. You're saying that, and the one that pops out of my head that used that, I have no idea why. Is who's the boss? Oh, yeah. When Tony and Angela nice. have to like yeah. the hotel room. When that movie Bandits, which had uh, mm-hmm. Bruce Willis in it and uh, Kate, Kate Blanchett, Blanchett, they talk about this movie yeah. as they're doing it because they have to do it, and in the middle, like the sheet falls and stuff like that. But um, yeah, because it can be used for like sexual tension or just fight. I mean, it's yeah. utilized to, as a story device. You know. Yeah, I was a little worried because in the beginning. The close talking continues (laughs) because it's the dad who is like too obsessed with the daughter when she's on that boat. It was very uncomfortable. And at first I was like, is this her husband, but she or boyfriend and she ran off with somebody and like locking her in this room. It just, it got real creepy. But as soon as she like jumps off of this yacht and swims away and stuff like that, it was all fine from there. But that opening scene got me worried. Well, I think that's what it was just to say like that's how much he was overbearing and yeah. and how with the food and all that. Like you wanted her to jump off that boat. Yeah. You wanted her to get away. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think I ever really cared about this King Wesley character, but no. I was like, it's yeah. just a means out of this. Yeah, yeah. totally. And I I liked. Um, how much vulnerability both of them brought to each of the characters because they're putting on the strong face for each other but then when you get the quiet moments like there's the scene in the hay field where they're like they've left the bus and they're you know hitchhiking to try and find get themselves home or whatever and she thinks he's abandoned her in the hay and so she's she's put on this whole brave air and then when she thinks he's abandoned her she's like where are you where are you yeah. know and it's yeah. it, there's like they both do that and he's he's got these moments where he's he just like the car scene where he where they their suitcases almost get stolen and he's just like not going to have it so he takes off after the keep running down the street <laughs> after a car and eventually sure. comes back and like but he was like you know I'm not going to let them treat us like that and like mm-hmm. I'm not going to you know and I'm and, but he comes back for her too and like there's a really lovely dynamic between the two of them and that I think is solely about the chemistry of the actors oh yeah. completely 
And I was reading, too, that um, during the scene where Clark Gable is undressing, he's having a conversation as he's taking off each article of clothing when they first like get to the place, um, to the first hotel. And I guess there was a part during... He was trying to keep this humorous flow going as he's undressing, but every time it came to his undershirt, he couldn't get it off in time to say this phrase, so he just decided to ditch the undershirt. So this was one of the first times that you saw an actor who didn't have an undershirt... And because Clark Gable is so cool and suave that after this, it became cool not to wear an undershirt anymore. Like, everybody was wearing, like, those sleeveless undershirts at the time. So after this, nobody was wearing, everybody, like, stopped wearing them to the point where the manufacturers of the shirts tried to sue Columbia for ruining their business because they had him do that. Mm -hmm. Of course, they failed. But it's, like, it's amazing, like, the influence of Clark Gable, like, no longer wearing a shirt because it was uncomfortable for one scene had this rippling impact across the industry. <laughs> well, and it's interesting how they use that because we already referenced, like, her lifting her skirt, yeah. you know. But part of all that going on, because it's very... That was very risque. Even a man mm-hmm. disrobing in that yeah. way. I mean, I don't even know how many times we've ever... In the history of film that there was bare-chested men, mm-hmm. you know, in scenes. And that was adding to the connection between them because it's like you know, sexual flutters mm-hmm. and like you're yeah. seeing it happen on film, which you didn't, you was not part of filmmaking back then. And so you, that's, what's like gra- bringing them together. They're having these intimate moments without almost meaning to, but yeah. they're yeah. happening between them and the actors play it out so well mm-hmm. that you're like, yeah, I'd be really attracted too. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they even imply all the sexual innuendo with the walls of Jericho uh-huh. and all that, and, yeah. you know, like they play into it in a way that like is passable, but you know, it's still like, Oh, okay. Like, yeah, I, I guess I'm picking undressing. up what you're putting down, you know. Like, when she's undressing, it just shows the the curtain or the sheet that they've hung in between the bed, and you just see the clothes come over the yeah. top. So it's almost like you have to, it's like in your head, you're imagining her getting undressed, which is almost like sexier than seeing her. It's like in your head, you have to create it. And so you imagine that that's what Clark Gable is doing as he's sitting there just seeing her clothes slowly come over the top. And I think the character at one point says, you might want to move those or something. Because he's, yeah. it's like, like, yeah, this is implying things, you yeah. know. And, like, and then it's very intimate that she's wearing his pajamas yeah. on her body as she's had to, you know, yeah. we know she's taken off all her <coughs> clothing. And so it was like, it was sort of a nice way because you're like, they don't know each other very long, but they have all these like really intimate moments that build into yeah. why their connection is happening so well, they- Sorry. Swiftly, just that there's such a charge to it. They feel like they, the, you know, sometimes you meet a person and you're just like fast friends. Mm-hmm. Like they have that a little bit because, like that whole scene where they're um, trying to fool the, the the campground owners or whatever that they're married. It's one of my favorite oh, yeah. scenes. Yeah, I was to, say. to throw off the um, the detectives that her father has sent, and they just immediately pop into characters like scene. they're married and she's got a whole thing, and like they they just play off each other so well, which I think is adding to what you're saying that they just the 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 crafting of them as a couple is like so organic Mm -hmm. and it shows you that this is something that they both like this immediate chemistry that they have that when you get to the end and she chooses him it's like oh well you've got it because you you understood that this is something she's never had with anybody before Mm -hmm. you know yeah they speak each other's like kind of same language yeah so how's your oscar shapely uh, <laughs> do you like that character? He's a little sleazy. Glad he didn't have a list on the bus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> out of a lot of the past yeah. movies, he didn't have yeah. a list. And you know, kind of to what you were saying about the slapstick of it all, he is slapsticky. Yeah. You know, he's a little more over the top. The comedy is turned up on him, but it still works. He's the character but... on the bus who's going to turn her in, right? 
Yeah. Yes. The money when he finds right. out that she's missing. He's but at hitting first on she's her just the whole hitting time on her. And it's creepy. And that's the yeah. first time there you see like they don't want to be near each other but yeah. when uh Clark Gable's character Peter sees right Peter yeah. Yeah. sees him being creepy with her. Right. He was like, "No, no. Out. Yeah. yeah. You're Get away from done. my wife." Right. Yeah. And he starts the whole wife thing. Yeah. And then Shapley realizes that she's an escaped heiress and tries to convince Peter to go in on it with the, him with the, for the money, right? Yeah. And then he just and leaves he, him out in the field. He well, pretends he can, to be yeah. like a mob guy oh, that's or right. and convinces Shapley that <laughs> they're like in danger or something and so then he just gets him to like run away. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just a, from talking him. Yeah. That was a little like kooky. Over the top yeah, movie. comedy. But it was over the top comedy, but it was at least less than some of the Right things that we've been watching in the previous movies we've been discussing with the lisp and the really cartoonish characters but I will also say I've had the man on the flying trapeze stuck in my head ever since we watched this movie (laughs) (laughs) because they have a whole song thing on the bus oh yeah where they sing and all I thought was Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic right don't they sing that in Titanic yeah they do yeah yeah, and so that was I. I was like, "Oh, that song." It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. funny you mentioned that they're like cartoon characters because Oscar Shapley was actually one of the big inspirations for Bugs Bunny. Um, Fitz Freeling, mm-hmm. I think is how you say his name. He was an animator and cartoonist who created iconic characters Bugs Bunny, Porky Pig, and a bunch of other Warner Brothers classic cartoons. In his unpublished memoirs, he mentions how much this uh, film influenced him. And including Oscar Shapley, the way he talks very fast. He calls uh, Peter's character Doc a couple of times. Um, and then later on, you see Peter Warren when they need food. He's eating raw carrots. And he uh, fits really like the sound of that snap mm-hmm. of eating those raw carrots. So they put that he put that into Bugs Bunny. And then Oscar, um, Oscar Shapley at one point... Uh, let's, he basically mentions that um, he's afraid of a guy named Bugs Dooley which is where Bugs Bunny ends up coming that's from. That's the mobster that Peter makes up. That Peter makes up. Yeah, yeah that's what it is. Wow, somebody so was like all smoking some stuff while watching <laughs> <laughs> and just and put it all that together. Or maybe like dropping some acid. He just had like a vision. <laughs> sure. Um, but with the writing, we talked about the overall story, but I loved the dialogue in this mm-hmm. movie. It was a little cheesy at times, but I thought that for the time period and even now, it's just fun yeah like toward the end when the father asks uh, clark gable do you love her and he's trying to get him to say yes he keeps asking him like do you love her you know and he he, he can feel it in clark gable but he doesn't want to say it so finally clark gable goes yes but don't hold that against me <laughs> yeah. and i love the dialogue where he keeps instead of saying like i'm gonna punch you or something he says i'm gonna sock you or you gotta <laughs> suck her in the nose yeah. or like i gotta slug you or plug you and it's like all these different things it's like we gotta bring these things back i know the expressions like yeah. the old yeah. expressions i know and then uh I think it's Shapley says, I was just wondering what makes dames like you so dizzy. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote down all these like classic lines. And it's funny too, because like like you're saying, like maybe it's kind of cheesy, but like, you know what? Sometimes you're in the mood for a little bit of cornball. Right? I mean, it it, it works. Like, I love that in the holiday when the Mm -hmm. Kate Winslet character says, I'm looking for corny and corny in my life or whatever. Yeah. But this just works. You know what I mean? Like, it it all just works. And. And I like obviously the writing, the script is really great. It ha- it's a really great script. Yeah, and I think the progression of the story works well because it's a road movie basically. Yeah. Because she's they're on this clandestine road trip to get her back to New York to get her to King so they can get married, and you know it's like the you you don't 
feel the travel, if you will, like mm-hmm. because the story is playing out. The travel is just the background to the story. Sometimes in a road trip, you're like, oh my god, okay, we're back in the car. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like the this just felt you just felt that natural progression and that they were getting ever closer and because the relationship of the characters gets more tense as they get closer because they clearly have developed feelings for each other and it's making her question whether this man she's taken this stance on with her father and all these things and the socialite aspect and all that is is really what she wants but she's got to like double down on it and then he comes from this you know kind of cd-ish background or just you know less than social or whatever background and he's like wants to be better and make good and like he's gonna go and instead of wanting to do this expose which was his initial plan he writes like this beautiful article about the the development of their relationship and how it's going to be him that she chooses in the end and he's just trying to go get the money so that he can get her and prove that he deserves her and all that you know so you don't feel that transitory nature of the story because it's just constantly progressing in such a great way and meanwhile they're on this road trip to get them there you know and it's so believable yes. like I yeah. think the premise is just really believable like it, it's it's not forced like he happens upon this girl he's down on his luck mm-hmm. and like it all works and he's a reporter like it yeah. all just works and then the conflict of him needing to get back to her and not making it in time. It's one of those classic, like, oh, I mean, it's hard to say classic. Maybe it invented it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? When you're like, just get you on. No, yeah. it's all going to go wrong. Yeah. You know? Because well, he turns in that story about how they fell in love and they're going to publish that. But then while he's gone, she thinks that he's, like, abandoned her. So she goes back to King Wesley or whatever his name is, not realizing what he's doing. Yeah. And then by the time he comes back, she's already left. And when they pass each other, because she's in, like, a car with King Wesley and the dad's heading the opposite direction. And then he comes in. And then he tries to go after him. I think he gets stopped by, is it a train or something that kind of comes between him or something? Or something happens and... Yeah, he just can't make it. So then it's like, should he give up or should he go and, and still try and do it? And then he goes back and returns the money for yeah. the article. And you're like, oh. Yeah. yeah well, he wants to be as reimbursed for the cost of the trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, directing-wise, Frank Capra did a great job. Yeah. Um, especially with the staging and the directing and the way the story unfolds. Like we mentioned, it's very smooth and fluid. The balance of comedy and drama really works. Um, instead of using the usual static camera setups, Frank insisted on putting the camera onto a crane, which enabled him to move and get lots of tracking shots. So it felt like the movie was constantly on the move along with your characters. Um, but unusual for a romantic comedy, the two protagonists never kiss, even at the end. Hmm. Oh, do they, they never know? actually kiss? Yeah. Well, no, but we know they bone because the walls of Jericho come down. Oh, oh yeah, that's, that's like right. the last shot. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, they talk about how they just got married or something. Yeah. They're not even in that scene. Well, the, it's the two people talking outside, then it cuts inside, and you just see the wall. The, the yeah, the when you hear. So I wonder if they shot it at like the very end. Yeah. Where well, the because were, the, like, already done. the dad gets a letter, right, that says, like, what's going on? Does the license come through or whatever? Because the walls of Jericho are falling. Oh, yeah. So, like, <laughs> and yeah, like, and right. then in the end, when they finally get word that, like, they're all good and they're on their honeymoon, then it's you hear the trumpet to break down the walls, you know. <laughs> the sheet falls. More cornballs. <laughs> but it works, yeah. especially in the movie. Yeah. I feel like this is, out of the movies we've watched so far, this is the sixth, seventh. 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 Um, seventh. This is the first time I feel, I could be wrong, where I feel like we have a real leading man in the aspect of today's concept of, like, a leading man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are actors in previous films that are... Meant to be. Or were of the time, but just to us in our current 
watching back of it don't feel that way. Yeah, I mean, or it's just not in that particular movie. Like in Grand yeah. Hotel, when we talked about that, because it was more of an ensemble, right. it didn't really feel like, even though the one Barry more um, John, yeah, kind of played the lead, the Baron leadish. Yeah. It still it didn't feel like this guy is like. I don't know, like a movie star, mm-hmm. like a leading man type of a thing. He, yeah, Clark Gable. You watch this and you're like, this guy has it. Whatever he's it also is, he's, Clark Gable. You know what yeah. I mean? So, and he's that's such an icon. But as somebody who's you know a huge fan, I didn't watch this movie and think I, we will talk about this later. I didn't think I'm watching Brett Butler. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which really proved what a great actor yeah. he was. Yeah, totally. It's really hard to break away. I mean, that's historically regarded, you know, Gone with the Wind is one of the yeah. best movies of all time. But so when you're watching um, something before, but you can't get that, I didn't think about it at all. Yeah, and I, I thought either. my mind would be clouded with that. And yeah. like, oh, I'm just watching Brett Butler not be with, you know, yeah. Scarlet or whatever. But no, it still right. worked. And, I, and yeah. I think that just spoke to him and his quality yeah and I think that that was neat because like out of all I'm sure Richard Dix obviously in Cimarron was supposed to be the leading that kind of idea yeah that movie stunk up so much I I didn't come away feeling like I you know well and I think it I mean it's with my leading man being portrayed to me Capra definitely had directed movies before, but Columbia, like you were saying before, was Poverty Row. It was the lesser of the yeah. studios, and so this was like a big deal that this became such a success and, you know, was such a hit and it won all these awards because it really helps kind of launch Frank Capra into being who we all now know Frank Capra to be, you know? Yeah. And, like, you know, I mean, romantic comedy... If romantic comedy is a genre gets a bad rep... Yeah. Ev love is always going to exist and people right. coming together is always going to exist and how that happens is going to be a story that will forever be told and have some interest mm-hmm. so you know that and that's what this story is I mean it might not be you know any different than other romantic comedies that might get like you know just the concept and the feelings you get you know it feels like a big ice cream hot fudge sundae you know right. what I mean yeah. like the comfort level of this movie and I, I love that we're allowed to like it in that way without being like, I liked it, but I like romantic comedy. You know, you, you don't, I don't have to editorialize, like, my affection for it. It feels like now, in 20, looking back on this in the year 2018, it's like the last few years, it's usually like the hardcore, hard-to-watch dramas that win mm-hmm. a lot of the awards and stuff, where it's like, it's a hard movie to watch. I miss some of the days where it's like, it's a fun movie. That comes out that wins Best Picture. It's a movie that you want to watch over and over again because there's a lot of Best Picture winners that I've seen that it's like I watched it once and I just I, I appreciate it as a movie, but I'm not going to watch it again because it's too heavy or something like that. And it's like I love that this movie is light and fun, but still tells a good story, has great acting, and like deserves and to win all the stuff that it does. Yeah, well, romance for romance's sake is relevant. I feel like one of the last movies. I mean, I'd have to really scan through a list of you know Academy Award nominees, but the last movie that was regarded that was light like this and held up would have been like When Harry Met Sally. I don't feel like those don't get nominated. I mean, that was nominated for Best Picture, I believe, the year that it came out. So uh, you don't get, like you're saying, you get the hardcore drama. You don't get these. Right. So, which is kind of a a bummer in a way because if it's told well and you have an affection for it, why not? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it speaks to, you know, speaking about the writer too, I it's interesting to hear that so many actors turned it down and that ultimately a lot of them say that the final movie was very different to the script they'd been given and that speaks to Francis Capra knowing, like, recognizing that the script needed work and so he brought on 
his longtime, who becomes his longtime collaborating writing partner, Robert Riskin, to do a pass on it. And that's probably what infused so much of the the wonderful quality of it. Like this was the, this is one of those movies. And I feel like it's the first of the best picture movies that we've watched that does this, where it's the perfect blending of everybody doing the best of their craft ability. So the writing really elevates the directing and the directing really elevates the acting and you know, and the actors elevate the writing and like, it's all coming together and showing you how, when working with the right team or it really can make something special yeah when the collaboration is in sync yeah mm-hmm. even if the actors you know like purportedly Claudette Colbert still complained and all those kinds of things because she didn't like Frances Gabra but and you know she comes off saying it's the worst movie she's ever made or whatever but it's everybody showed up to work and did yeah. their job you know yeah. isn't that interesting because when somebody says Claudette Colbert you think it happened one night like this yeah. is her legacy I wonder if yeah. after she won if she like looks like later in her life if she looked back and was like you know what that is a good movie like if she actually watched the movie mm-hmm. and was like why was I because that's like you hear about um, Richard Dreyfus when he did Jaws because so many things were going wrong on set he was like this movie's going to be terrible I had an awful time this movie's going to tank it's going to ruin my career and then the day it came out he was driving down the street and he saw this massive line and he's like what is this for and it was people lined up to see Jaws he went in and saw it called Steven Spielberg and, and apologized and said I'm so sorry mm-hmm. I was such a dick to you on set <laughs> like I wonder if she did that where she watched the movie and was like oh my god this is amazing it's so much fun look how good I am and something <laughs> like that but well I mean I think that is like that will always be the case of notoriously difficult actors not getting along with their director yeah. right because yeah. everyone's worried that something's gonna ruin right yeah. you know mm-hmm. their career on both sides right yeah um, with the technician, I like the use of lighting. A lot of the movie took place at night, so they had to really balance that out well, like the light that's on the bus and the different stops that they went to. Um, and it was the same with the set design. I like the look of the bus the look and how they had everybody seated. It seemed very real, but the camera really had to get in there for certain shots. Like The motels were great, so all the set design, all that was great. The sound was very clean, which I appreciated, because um, I like that we're moving more into more into where sound design feels like it's becoming more important. Yeah. And they're really focusing on it. Um, so I thought that was real well done. Um, the costumes I thought were great, other than they don't really change very much. But that wedding dress looked like a nightgown that had flowers sewn into the neckline. <laughs> it was so ugly. That was the only thing that I was like, mm. it stood out and was just. I'd have awful. to see it again. Gosh, oh, I don't remember I'm, it. I'm sure it really women stood rushed out. to the shop probably. to get a replica of it, probably. It's not like, it literally looked like a nightgown. Like I do love the wedding scene, though, because what I really like, too, and we didn't really talk about this in terms of character progression, but the dad really... like. You can you come to love the dad by uh-huh. the end. Like at yeah. first, you're like, God, this overbearing asshole. But what you're realizing is that he just has his daughter's best interests at heart, and he knows she's making a bad choice, and he doesn't want her to do something she's going to regret. regret. And yeah. really, it's not about her; it's about King. She does he doesn't think King is worthy of her. And so when he finally meets Peter, and he's having that scene in the study on the day of the wedding, where he's trying to get him to to admit that he loves her because this man has taken his daughter and, and he didn't take advantage of her. He didn't, he isn't asking for the money. He didn't, he protected her like, and he didn't have to do that because certainly at the time he could have been like taking all kinds of advantage of her. You know what I mean? But instead he protected her and cared for her and didn't abandon her and all those things. 
And the dad recognizes that and is like, this is the kind of man I want my daughter to be with. And I can tell that he wants to be with her. And so I love when he's walking her down the aisle and he goes, your car's by the exit if oh, you want it. Oh, yeah. so good. Oh, so good. You know? I mean, like, I, it's, I love that progression, too, that, like, you're getting, you're getting through to this, like, this great arc for the dad, because genuinely, at the beginning of your movie, you're like, oh, God, what a horrible father. Yeah. But really, it's that he's, like, this great father, you yeah. know? Um, no, I, th- I, I, you do love it, because he's on your side yeah. as the viewer. You're like, yes, get her yeah. to get away. Realize, Run, yes, yeah. get away from King, which is funny, because I was thinking... We don't like King Wesley as viewers. Yeah. And the reason we don't like him is simply the dad doesn't like him. So we're like, okay, like, who is this guy? All we need is likable Clark Gable to just have, a, yeah. I don't know why. That's all yeah. we need for as viewers to be on this, not to the side of King Wesley. King you until like an hour and 15 him. minutes or so in. And you just see him talking with the dad. And the dad's like offering him something. Like they're trying to make some kind of deal mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like you don't meet him until now, right? But as soon as you meet him, you, you don't like him because you want her with Clark Gable. You want her well, with Clark Gable they, and not, yeah. When they reference him too, it's usually like socialite, playboy. Like they give him titles that are a little, insinuating a little bit of like, there's something going on with that guy that I'm not going to like. And then the pièce de résistance talking about technicians. He flies in on a freaking helicopter to their <laughs> wedding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, what a douchebag! <laughs> like, His he, entrance is like a he, big. I know he's there. They're all drinking beforehand and having a good time. So that means he left. So he to left get on a helicopter to, to fly in, in on a helicopter for his grand entrance. Oh God, I know. It's yeah. so good though. And but when you first hear about King, like I kind of thought, I'm like. He kind of sounds perfect for this spoiled little brat. Yeah. But as you watch, because the one aspect you could kind of, but I love the movie so much, is Clark Gable sort of trains her. There is mm-hmm. an aspect of him being like, nope, that's not how you behave. Like, she's constantly being cultivated by mm-hmm. men, it seems. Yeah. But you, you know, you want her to be but he's more of her a better person. A better, so, yeah. yeah. So there's a little bit where you're like, eh, Oh, it's fine. I'll just go along with her. Yeah. There definitely is a control factor to him over her, but that's again, it's of the era. I mean, that's, yeah, he no, it totally is, and I'm is, more accepting of it in this movie. He is respectful of her in many ways, while still being a controlling romantic partner. But that's that's just of the era that the men dominate the women, and that's and in the role of that. But but while doing it, it's because he's trying to be like, no, don't be a, a nasty brat. Like mm. you you have and like and also some reality like she takes his all of his money and gives it to the kid on the bus because the woman yes. is painted because money has no value to uh, her yeah. and then later that hurts him so even though he does the, the way the I mean the writers the directors the way it's built into the story that it's okay that he's sort of training her and cultivating is you see why there's yes. there's why's built into the script like when she gives the money and she sees later oh now we're hungry yeah. and yeah. we don't have food that's why he's upset that's why you don't do that you know and right. there's all those things yeah. so by the end because at first you're like she's sort of sounds like she should be with this douchebag playboy but then she has you know evolved so much from the experiences that go that take place during the movie that you're like no he's he's just not right for you i don't know why i just now i just dislike that guy because clark gable and your dad don't like him and you aren't that same person anymore well yeah and she changed like she basically is given the opportunity to change Mm -hmm. in a way she would never have been given the opportunity if she was willing to to acquiesce to her dad and or king you know, it's an emotional makeover story. <laughs> <laughs> um, with the producing side of things, Columbia also didn't have much faith in the film, 
and released it without much fanfare and little advertising and quickly pushed it out to secondary run theaters. So movies that have been out a while, you generally push it to the secondary, which has like lower prices. But when it got there, it became a runaway hit and eventually became Columbia's biggest hit to date. It's amazing how little people had faith in this, yeah. but Frank Capra really just put it together, got his actors to kick some ass, and just keep pushing. Um, Clark Gable, when he won the Academy Award for his performance, he ran into a child who really admired it, so Clark Gable gave his award to this child uh. and said that winning the statue is what mattered, not owning it. The child later returned the award to Clark Gable's family after Clark Gable's death. And then later in 1996, Steven Spielberg anonymously purchased Clark Gable's award to protect it from further commercial exploitation and gave it back to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, um, saying that, quote, no better sanction for uh, Gable's only Academy Award than with the Motion Picture Academy. So it's nuts that it's like that even went up for sale. Yeah, but the sad part is Claudette Colbert's goes up for sale and no one buys it the following year. (laughs) How interesting. I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Keep going for, it must be because, are they, because they passed away and their yeah, family gets I'm sick? Sure. I think I they go on auction. I get, like, the relevance of this memorabilia, and it's the Academy Award. I mean, I, you know, I just think it's weird to purchase an award that somebody else yeah, won. Yeah. And that has no, and nothing to do with your own family Your own story family or, or legacy. Yeah. No, I think that's weird yeah, can you imagine creepy. walking into somebody's house and you're like, oh, did you win an Academy Award? No, that's Clark Gable's. I yeah. bought it. And I get why some people might think that that's cool. I don't. (laughs) I just really don't. I'm also not a person that really understands autographs, and I don't really need to collect those or put them anywhere. So, I mean. Final questions, as usual. Does the film hold up today, and would you recommend that people see it? Yes and yes. 100%. Everybody who loves film should really watch this movie. Just anybody who likes comedy. Because here's, you know, we've talked a lot about how comedy evolves over time and changes and whatever. This is a comedy that holds up. Agreed. I still find it funny. There's I mean, Maybe it's not laugh out loud, belly rolling comedy, but it's still funny. It's still poignant. It's still eloquent. It's still sweet. Like there's still so much about it that you can connect with as a viewer because it's a well-told story and a well-made movie. Yeah. yeah. I feel like when you watch movies like this, it's almost like the time stops and you're like, I feel like I'm enjoying this as much as somebody did when they Definitely. sat in the theater yes. originally. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. I'm having the same and that is I mean that's kind of what movie magic is absolutely yeah. Yeah. it's just very charming that's how I feel about it because it's just you watch this movie and you just slowly fall in love with it because of the characters and the way it's shot I think it definitely holds up the characters hold up the shots uh, the dialogue and everything and I feel like this is a movie that both film buffs and the casual viewers can watch because again it has so many things we talked about this earlier but it's so many things that have been reused parodied and so on for mm-hmm. years to come that when you watch this you'll start to pick up on those things so I think that that's what makes it really interesting and holds up now in a previous episode you said Grand Hotel of what we've watched so far what we've discussed was your number one not anymore nah. this one's definitely <laughs> yeah. the best yeah, and I, I put probably Grand Hotel underneath it and then uh, the, All Quiet on the Western Front, Quiet on the Western Front mm-hmm. or definitely the top three but uh, not Simmer on? <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. Like, simmer off with that movie and putting this on instead. No, but this is definitely number one by far. Because this, watching it, it feels like, I know it has like a 
period essence to it but you know when the artist came out that it was like black and white and done like in an old style i feel like you could watch this and tell somebody no this was made like a few years ago but they made it in an old classic style Oh, totally and i wonder if some people would pick up on it because it was just so well done it feels like it could have been made by somebody today paying tribute to movies back then because it was so well done and it holds up so well but it's also on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies list a number of times. They're, they do them, you know, I think yeah. every, every so often they do those lists, and it's made it on the list twice. Yeah, yeah. I can see why. Yep. Well, that'll wrap things up for this ep- episode of uh, the Envelope Podcast on the film It Happens One Night. So thank you, and good night. <laughs> That will wrap up this episode of the Envelope Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please let us know your thoughts on the film we discussed here today. We are a Cinema Squad production presented on the Cinema Squad podcast channel. You can reach anyone here at thecinemasquad.com. Just go there to email us, check our bios, and keep up with the latest episodes. Also, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It's very, very helpful. Don't just rate, but actually leave a review if you could too, please, because that's how other people will find us. Thank you and good night.